All right. So the name of the podcast is Application to Admission. I want it to be HBC versus PWIs, but you know, you think that's a little bit too too aggressive. And I, you know, I don't want to be aggressive. I want to make sure that I I treat your your your, your brother, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. right. You know, I don't come off too too militant. Even though Martin was a real militant man, he has some he has some really positive stances on a lot of things that people you know, have diluted his message through this holiday and all that, but that's a whole nother uh, episode. Welcome back to the Application to Admission podcast. Shereen Herndon-Brown here. Timothy Fields, my right-hand man, co-author of the Black Family's Guide to College Admissions. Tim, how are you feeling, or should I just tell the people that you're not here because you're knee-deep in reading applications right now? I'm I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great, but great? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm feeling great, man. You know, it's, you know, we're working our way through January. Uh, a lot of good things happening. A lot of good momentum. Obviously, I'm just passing through because I got piles to read. But I was happy uh, to be a part of the podcast application to admission. Well, Tim, the people don't want to just hear from me. I mean, you you're such a valuable asset to to our our tandem. So I'm we'll, yes, we'll make this quick. We have an awesome guest on deck for y'all um, who actually is very very. Uh, uh, thorough in her explanation of a lot of things. So we're going to give her ample time. But I do want to note that right now, seniors, class of 2023 people, you all should be done for the most part. Yes, there's some be, might be some financial aid paperwork that you're handing in, that you're tidying up, that you're making sure that financial aid offices at you know, the, the respective schools that your kid has applied to, all those are complete. Uh, please help your kids to check their application portals. Please have them check their spam emails. Because again, colleges communicate with students to make sure applications are complete. And if they're not, they reach out. But if you and or your kid are not aware of what is missing, they're just going to reject them, defer them, something. And you don't want that. So please, parents, help your class of 2023 seniors and 2024 juniors. You are up next. If you had, if you didn't get our newsletter, uh, join our website, understanding the choices, get the newsletter because we're really pumped. We have a lot on deck this winter and spring for the class of 2024 parents. Um, beginning with a webinar Sunday, this upcoming Sunday, January 29th. So again, it's an 11th grade college preparation overview. It is virtual. It is free. You can register on our website under the events page. Tim, tell them a little bit about it just to, to wet their palate, tease them a little bit. Well, you know, just what we want to do is we really want to prepare students and families for what's coming ahead. Those are juniors. And it's more than the application. So we have experts who are from the application. We have experts who are looking at testing. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about financial aid. So we're not just covering, oh, this is what you need to do you doing in the application. We are going to cover all bases so you are prepared as you go into this process. So thank you, Tim, for giving that quick overview. But yes, we are pumped for you guys to hear Jen the Tutor. She is up next. Um, you're really going to uh, appreciate everything that she has to say. She's a seasoned veteran, very, very thorough, very, very compassionate. Um, so you want to make sure that you listen to all the information she has to share. And again, check us out on Sunday, January 29th. Jen will actually be there or on our virtual uh, webinar. So please register at understandingthechoices.com. Tim, I'll let you get back to reading application files. I'm going to Jamaica, just so you know, because uh, this is my time to chill a little bit. So as much as I, uh, I'll i be thinking oh, must about be you. Nice. Must be nice. I'm going to Evanston. Yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. So you be cold, I'll be warm, and y'all uh, listen to the podcast or listen to Jen, all right? Thanks a lot for being part of the Application to Admission podcast, Shereen Herndon-Brown. 
Timothy L. Field, Senior Associate Dean of Admission at Emory University, and we appreciate y'all. Welcome back to the Application to Admission podcast, and today you are in for a treat. I think I know a lot about the college application process, but every now and then I have to admit that I am not the smartest person in the room, and today is that day. We have hey, hey, well, well, it's a day anytime you're with me, but <laughs> I, I digress. I digress. Please, yes, you digress, and you know, I get. I guess today's Liars Day, but um, no, we we are very very blessed. Honestly, I say they're fortunate to have a, a special guest in the room with us tonight. Be, today, because um, again, we want to share our expertise, but again, the expertise of others who will really, really help to inform the college application process for families who can give you another perspective. Um, so Jennifer Jesse, uh, otherwise known as Jen the Tutor, is here. I'll let her give you all her bio stuff, her BA, her JD, her company's name and all BS that. BS too, yeah, yes, yeah. Excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> uh, but not, it's not every day that we have such knowledgeable and talented and charismatic um, company. So uh, listen up, listen up closely, get your pen and pad, and let's do it. Jennifer, Jesse, Jen, the tutor, how are you, ma'am? Well, great. You know, y'all came in hot today, so I have to bring the heat. Yeah, so I'm Jennifer Jesse. I go by Jen, the tutor, just because when I used to call people, I would say it's Jen, the tutor. So when I went out on my own, I just figured keep it simple. But yeah, I have a BA from Virginia Tech in political science. I also completed a degree in history, and then I have a BS in sociology and a JD from the University of Virginia School of Law. And because of my mother, I am still barred in the state of Virginia. So I am a proud member of the Virginia Bar. Wow, that, that's a lot. Tim, you got all that? Yeah, you got a little old M. And I also used to be a TV blogger. So I've done a lot, man. I, hey, I, I got it all. And, you know, I've, I've had it all. But on, t on top of that, I think, you know, we all have, you know, people who support us. And, and you know, so I, Jen, you know, obviously supports a lot of students throughout this process. Um, you know, she, you know, helps lots of people in the field. But, you know, she from day one has reached out and has been a champion for us and sharing um, to with anybody who wants to listen. Uh, about our book and about the work we're doing. So, you know, we just want to thank you, Jen, for oh, that. Yeah, and, you know, thank you uh, for, for making the time for being here. But we also want to kind of, you know, pick your brain as the people are listening and just, you know, share what your company does. You know, a lot, okay. a lot of people, you know, obviously they know what, you know, independent college consultants are, but I, I want to say that you're more than that. So yeah, you know, please, please share. I feel like my role evolves as my community evolves. So I, I'm constantly just adapting to meet the needs of my community. But essentially what we start with is I started in SAT and ACT prep. I also did, you know, during the pandemic, I shifted and did some work with students who were virtual and things like that. I actually started right after law school. I started doing uh, tutoring under No Child Left Behind um, after school. And it was just a side job while you're taking the bar. Because when you're taking the bar, you can't really do that much besides study for the bar. Then um, before that, I had worked at a national test prep company while I was in undergrad. And now I've transitioned to do SAT and ACT prep. I also work on college applications and my you know, pro bono practice is probably a majority of my work. 
So I would say at every, any given week, we do 60 to 70% of our work is pro bono work, working with students who are, you know, historically excluded and finding pathways for them to go into college or, you know, just doing one-off cases. So a student's having a hard time enrolling, a student's having a hard time with financial aid. Um, I am really lucky because in my community, my family runs very deep. So we all get to... Uh, we'll go to church or we'll go to an event and we'll find a student has a problem and they're sent to me to help resolve it. And then my hope is I never see that student again until graduation, but they also know I'm available for them if they need them. Jen, right there, you've given the people so much. Where do they find you? Yes, we have many more questions oh. to ask you. Look, I, you can't just abandon people like, oh my God, where's she? She's going to help me. I'm going to go to church and meet her. Oh yeah. Go? I mean, out in the streets, you know, like, if you see my, if you see my mother or father, they will probably bring you back, but it's Jen, J-E-N-N, the tutor at .com is where you can find me. You can also find me on almost every social media platform, except for Facebook at Jen, the tutor dot, uh, Jen, the tutor is my handle everywhere. So yeah. Excellent. Excellent. We, we appreciate you. So you know, we want to make sure we give the people tangible things to mm -hmm. do, right? Again, they can listen to me rant and rave all day. They're watching our videos and listen to our podcast. But again, your outside perspective, meaning outside from us, is something that we want people to take uh, a special aware to, be especially aware of. So getting right into it, as the class of 2024 uh, starts to kind of think about the college process, and the class of 2025, sophomore, even freshman 2026, what do you think they should be doing now? Parents, how do parents best support their current juniors, then their current sophomores or freshmen as they start to think about the inevitable college process that's underway? So I'm... <laughs> I was about to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm an Aquarius, so I take all of January to think because it's Aquarius season. And I, for me... The first thing that you have to do is you have to turn down the noise for your student and you have to say, listen, I understand that you feel like you're going to have to do a lot of things to be competitive for college. But one of the things that we say in our group a lot is there's a college out there looking for you. So if you don't want to take uh, advanced level, you know, I had a student that said, I hate English class. I hate it. I love my STEM classes. I hate English. I don't want to take advanced English anymore. I don't want to have to do highlighting notations or whatever. If you don't want to do that. You shouldn't have to do that because you think that that's going to make you competitive. There's a college that's out there that's going to validate that choice. And so the first thing I tell my juniors and my parents is let's take down the noise. Let's re remind ourselves that there's over 2,000 colleges in this country. There's 4,000 colleges in this country that do two-year degrees. 2000, I think 632 that do, um, you know, two, four year degree granting institutions for BAs and BSs and things like that. And there's a college out there for everyone. So you don't have to come into this pro process perfect. You don't have to come into this process defined. I've had students come to me in June of their senior year and place them by August. So it's one of those things where if everything goes wrong, there's still opportunities, but you do also want to have a plan. And for me, the first step, and I think this is the hardest step, I think people wait too late to do this step, is to say, this is our budget. The world is only, you know, $30,000 a year. 
like don't tell them what the budget is you would never let a kid go into a toy shop during Christmas and just pick out their gifts you would tell them what the budget is so you tell them the budget you tell them the constraints and then you also have conversations with them about what they're looking for and you remind them that the school is not the dream you have the dream and you are going to fulfill the dream and we're looking for an institution to buy into what you're doing man you, you said we was coming in hot <laughs> you can't go into the toy store without providing some guidance hey yeah you can't ahead. you would not you would never like even before you go into a grocery store you tell your kids we're going in don't look at nothing don't talk don't touch anything you're not getting candy you tell them the constraints and yet i think what happens in the college admissions process is we trust the the process and we tell people that this process is looking out for us but who is it looking out for to say i have this one school that i'm interested in going to and every other school is below that school it doesn't serve us to have a dream school it doesn't serve us to narrow our focus it serves the institutions because then you get into that dream school and i'm never worried about a kid not getting into college i'm worried about the debt so you get into that dream school but how much is it going to cost you at this point. And then you can't convince your student, well, you know, I know this is your dream, but we don't want to pay $50,000 for your dream a year. They're going to come back to you and say, you told me to do this. I worked hard. Da, da, da. And every parent that has said, I'm not going to listen to my student when they say that they fold, they fold because you're taking most of the time you're taking out the debt anyway. So it doesn't feel like a big deal year one to take out $50,000 of debt. But then year two is when I start to get the phone calls. And so for me, I had to start working back from my practice and saying, we got to nip this in the butt. So for me, second conversation in, we're talking debt. We're talking, and I'm watching this. I actually had the students sit with their parent on conversation two. And I say, okay, 5,000 a year. Is that comfortable? 10,000 a year. Is that comfortable? And you can watch because I'm I do it via Zoom. You can watch the parent and you can actually see the student looking at the parent. And then they understand, oh, wait, it has to be under this number. Are there certain colleges that are worth more to you? Why are they worth more to you? Those are the things that you have to explain to your student. It's not a blank check. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, man, that's some great information. But you know, one of the things Shereem and I go back and forth with, and I would you know, love your perspective is when does the college process begin? <laughs> I think that depends on socioeconomic factors, right? Because I think the more resources you have, the further back your search can go, right? So some of us are thinking about college as early as preschool, like which preschool are we going to place our student in and all the way up to that because we're trying to achieve a certain goal. Um, it can happen as late as, I mean, again, I had a kid, I, and I don't even remember this kid's name. I just remember his, the kid's sis, brother was named Donut. So they called him Donut. And Donut's sister got on the phone and said, hey, I was thinking about maybe not going to college. Is there still colleges out there? And that was June or July. So yeah, we found a college. We found a good deal. We found a good package. So it can happen as late as that. I think there is, the earlier you plan, the more you kind of get rid of the obstacles and barriers. Um, but there's no one way to do the college search. 
And if you show up late in the game, it doesn't mean that there's not opportunities for you. I was a kind of person, I'm just going to be honest, I'm I'm the baby of the family. So it honestly, all makes sense now. It all, okay. make, it all makes sense now. <laughs> I'm a proud baby of the family too. So I thought, somebody asked me, what are you doing for college? I was like, oh, my mom will figure that out. And so I was like, you didn't think about what you should do. And that's when I started thinking about it. That was 11th grade or 10th grade. I remember exactly where I was in the hallway at Garfield and things like that. So for me, I was so insulated and my parents were making sure I was making the right choices that I wasn't thinking about. It was kind of already on autopilot. But, you know, I think you kind of have to start the conversation as you go into high school saying the choices that you're making are going to matter now. And I think that's a significant distinction between middle school and high school. And, that, and that's great advice because I think that, like I said, Tim and I, not that we differ, we don't argue over it, but, you know, we definitely- A want little to bit, <laughs> argue a little bit. We argue a, a, over a lot of other things, <laughs> but our, our, our genuine concern for families to understand the process earlier, to be aware of the process, like you said, preschool, pre-K, I could argue third grade is when kids become aware of what college is and what yeah. it potentially do for them. But then, yes, I think the plan starts to plant its seed or start to execute itself in middle school, early high school, because again, the classes you take in middle school sometimes affect the class you're allowed to take in high school, and that ultimately affects your transcript. So yes, we're glad that you agree with us that there's a trajectory that's necessary for kids to be successful, but most of all, there needs to be a parent and student partnership that yeah. will ultimately help everyone get to where they want to go. And again, we or, can't say you or considering. Yeah. I mean, I work with students that don't always have caretakers or parents that are invested right so mm, it might be talk. it might be that you need to start earlier I, I did want to kind of interrupt you real real quick because I remember when I was at Virginia Tech my mother went to a, a, a football game with me and we were talking before this call about how Virginia Tech has a little cult-like features and she just saw all these kids in the stadium and she said these kids know that they're going to college, right? Because they, they're in the stadium, they're all they, they're coming here every Saturday. And so in that moment, she decided, she went up to the education school and she said, can I bring my students here? Because she was a, a principal of an elementary school. And so she started what a, a process where she put college all over the walls in the high school and kind of, I mean, the elementary school showing them. And then the kids would go to Virginia Tech in the fifth year and they would talk about it every year leading up to that because she wanted those people who knew that they were going to go to college to know that like that the seed is planted early. So I think you do need to say, these are your options after school. You can either pick a career or you can pick college. And for me, both are valid choices but you have to kind of plant the seed early that there are options. Understood. And and again, we have so many questions I want to ask you. I don't want to get bogged down with one thing. Yeah. But yes, we do talk about, you know, something that you reiterated that we kind of, you know, preach on our soapbox, which is cost has to be the number one, number one. Um, uh, element or pillar in deciding what college to look at, then followed by location, then major, then career. And I can even argue, and Tim may not agree with me on this, but at... 18, 19 years old, people really have four choices, right? There's college, there's the military, and that's honorable. There's uh, a job. I'm not quite sure I believe it's, it's a career at 18. And I don't, you know, I think that the, a job is probably going to be an apprenticeship that could lead to a career. 
But mm -hmm. you know, there's college, there's military, there's job, and then there's jail, and that's something. And influencers and, and YouTube influencers. <laughs> but that's a job. That's a job. That's, that's a job. A job. Uh, that that's a job, and I will totally respect people who do that and put their 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 effort into it, and they're they're making money. They're doing something to provide for themselves. So by no means am I being disrespectful of it. Um, I will. I want to see where our current influences that not named Paris Hilton or Kim Kardashian are yeah. in 20 years. And, but again, I digress. Yeah. We want to be um, uh, respectful of your time. And there's a big question out there that we know you have a lot of strong feelings about. A lot of strong feelings. Yes, you do. How do you feel about where the state of standardized testing, you know, coming out of the pandemic where uh, all colleges put test uh, testing on hold, you know, for a little bit, making it optional, given that it was hard to, we couldn't be in spaces together for a while. How do you feel about testing? And is 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 it changing or is it not um, the landscape of college admissions? Where are you on the, the testing mm -hmm. conversation? And just give people a quick summary of where yeah. testing is overall. Well, I think the misconception is test optional is new. Test optional has been around for decades. Um, in Virginia, we've had test optional I think since 2007 for George Mason and Christopher Newport are the two ones that went test optional first. So I, I think a lot of students are scared because it feels new to them. I would say during the pandemic, it was the first time students became aware of the policy. Um, before that, I, I mean, again, I'm living in the Commonwealth of Virginia and we had students, we had opportunities available, but a lot of students weren't taking advantage of those opportunities. Um, for me, testing has to come with a purpose. Um, so the first thing I assess is, you know, has a student had a history of bad test taking? Because if they've had a history of bad test taking at this point, and every time it creates anxiety, and every time it creates stress, and every time, then there's opportunities out there without test scores. And at that point, you know, I'm looking in California, but I'm also looking at the longer historical test op, uh, optional universities and colleges. So, because I know that their merit aid and their scholarships have caught up at this point. Um, so that's the first thing I assess is, have we had a historical pattern of not having anxiety, whatever. Um, I've worked with a lot of students with disabilities. So we also, are we able to get the right accommodations is another question that we discuss. But if a student is game for testing and we don't have that pattern, I'm gonna probably have them take one test. I am not a practice test tutor. I do not believe a practice test is gonna give you an accurate representation of what you need to do. So for me, I have students test in February for the ACT and in March for the SAT. If I can get them that early, then I would like to have them that early. And then I kind of assess from there, is there a gap between your academic progress and this test and how much time, effort, and energy is going into filling that gap. Because I think what people kind of think of, the SAT and ACT is so tangible. You can hold on to it, right? So it feels like the one thing in the college admissions process that you can control. The grades are outside of your control. You know, extracurriculars, you're not going to always become the president of every club, whatever. But the test feels like if I study for it, it's in my control. And the one question I ask my students to think about is at what cost? So at what cost, not just the actual cost of test prep, because you do need to set a budget before you start test prepping. A lot of people don't, but you do. 
but how many times are we going to have to test? How is it going to impact you emotionally if you don't get that score? How many opportunities, how many iterations of test prep are we going to have to go through? So for me, if we're not getting a good indicator on the first test, we're probably not taking a second test. And then we're looking for opportunities. But testing provides context. It doesn't, and Tim, you can kind of speak up on this because you're actually working behind the desk. I was under the impression before the pandemic and before I started my test prep journey, which is probably like 2017, I thought all things being equal, this kid with the higher score is going to close and always get the offer because that's what the test prep community taught me. That's how we sell it. I learned that that's not even true in most cases because it's aligning with the institutional priorities. And if the institutional priority is behind testing, then it might come down to that. But also, when are all things equal? Like, we're not in a Lindsay Lohan parent trap situation. Yeah, so. I mean, I mean, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that I try and, you know, let me say in this selective Emory top 25 mm -hmm. space, that you know 1600s 34s 35s is just another piece of the application there are lots of students who are denied who have those right. scores because what we're saying is you know for, for whatever it means there's some academically ability here based upon you scoring that high on this test it, it means something what it means we can argue about that all day but if you not have not done that same work in the classroom if you haven't consistently been involved in other ways then it's just that a number. So yeah, but you know, there are people who get excited seeing those numbers, but there's so much more that we look at, especially at some of these more selective schools, that it doesn't really move the meter, especially in this test optional uh, space. Um, yeah, and I and I think for me, it depends on your list. So like for me, MIT, I'm testing. Like that's just the reality. Georgetown, I'm probably testing. But I did have a student from Georgetown the other day say, I want to take the test again. And I said, let's talk to Georgetown and see if there's actually a competitive value. Is there a competitive advantage? Because if there's not, and we're just testing for the sake of testing to like for your ego, then I don't know where we're going with that. And, and so let me, let me ask you this question while we're on testing. And mm -hmm. obviously there's so much more we want to get to. But you know, one of the things that I try and, you know, tell families is let's talk about, you know, we have our book, The Black Family's Guide to College Admission, a conversation about great book. Race. great book. Love it. Love great. it. Great. I mean, have to drop. Uh, have if, to drop. if somebody doesn't have this book right now, are they really prepared for college? Probably not. Probably hey. not. I would probably, I would get a copy for myself. If you, I loved other people, I would probably buy copies for the people I love, but that's just me. I strive for excellence. Absolutely. And so, you know, a, a, a large part of our, <laughs> a large part of our listenership is uh, Black. And so provide some context about, you know, Emory on our website, we may say our middle 50 percentile is mm -hmm. 1470. Mm -hmm. For a Black family, when they see that 1470, what, what do you tell them? Uh, I tell I tell them that this test is rooted in eugenics. I tell them, I, I direct them to the Jay Rossner study. And I say, you know, if if the Jay Rossner study is correct, and Jay Rossner is a genius, so, and he has the data to prove it, that every, the norming of the test goes towards the majority of test takers. And the majority of test takers are not Black. So when a Black student does well on a question, that question is more likely to be thrown out. And if, 
black students are the only students that do well, it's probably going to get thrown out. So the test is kind of, the deck is kind of stacked against you. That doesn't mean that you can't be an outlier, right? So there are outliers. And I used to think that we could prep our way out of inequity. So I used to think, hey, if we all just work hard and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, you know, we can do well. But if you're starting at an 1100, right? And the goal is 1470, that's usually two to three iterations and you still may not hit that goal. But you could also get up to a 1470 and still be rejected. So is that the best use of your time? And so a lot of times I will tell my students, what if you didn't have to do test prep, what would you be doing? If like there was one class that you could dive deeper in, what would you take? If I could sign you up for a community college class and they say, I would take physics, I would take chemistry, I would take da da da, go take it, go do that. Go get more experience and show showcase your impact. And sometimes the test does not reflect that. So an average score for Black students is around nine to a thousand-ish. Um, the likelihood of a Black student getting a 1,400 is about less than 5%, probably about 1%. And so it doesn't mean that Black students aren't as smart as their peers, because I have students who are in the same AP courses and doing the same work and getting straight A's um, with their peers in the classroom. It just means that the test is not recognizing your ability. And if the test does not align with a reflection of your ability, if that one day doesn't reflect your ability, then you want to find other contextual factors. And so my friend, Sean Witten, who is a great friend of mine said, you know, you want to think of data points. Is this a good data point for you? If it's not, move on, right? And find a college that values the data points that you have, as opposed to chasing after data points. It's like, you know, I'm sure a lot of people don't remember the song now because we're old now, but don't go chasing waterfalls. Like, don't go chasing a, a 1600 because a lot of times you capture that. And I will say my perfect scorers tend to put a lot of time and energy into the test. And then their application falls flat because there's no other texture. They didn't have time to do other things. And so my students who went test optional have gotten more merit aid and scholarships than my students who have you know, gotten a perfect score because they have more texture. So there are opportunities out there. And I would just say, if your student is not reflected in the test, don't think that your student's broken. The one thing I hate hearing is my student is not a good test taker. The test is working by design. It's not that your student is broken, it's that this test is not reflecting their talent. So let's not put it on the student. Let's not put a macro problem on a micro source. Let's put it back on, this is not a good test for you. We don't have to get into the deep. We don't have to understand everything. We don't have to go into the eugenics of it all, but we can just say, this is not a good test for you. It does, and that could be for any population, by the way, because I've seen it, especially with you know disabled students. I work with a variety of students from rich to poor to whatever, uh, black to white. There are some students who it's just not a good reflection. And it erodes their self-confidence if you continue to push on and make them feel like they're broken when they're not. Literally, I just got done and with an information session. A young lady raised her hand and says, if I didn't do well on the AP exam, does it throw up a red flag if I don't submit it? And I said, no. I said, there are two types of information you submit on a college, college application. Required information and information that makes you look great. 
If it mm. does not fall into those two two categories, don't submit it. Yep. See, that was my Baptist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My Southern Baptist came out. Jen, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell him. So very quickly, you know, before I pepper you with another question, one mm-hmm. of the great things you told Tim and I a few weeks ago was, was that as we think about how we're evolving um, our book to our podcast, to our brand, yeah. uh, you know, I suggested that we follow the model of a very popular community online. Yeah. Um won't name them by name and give them free shine. But I will say that you were like, mm, I think we should be more like a very friendly barbershop or hair salon. Where right. people are knowledgeable, have wisdom, um, but again, but share it in a way that people are comfortable and conversant. And I was like, that's good. I mean, right? and that's I mean, real. because that's that's where, I mean, I come from a Southern Baptist background. Um, my mother marched. So we're we're all about the streets, right? Like th- this family, like I might have grown up in the suburbs, but my mother reminds me that I did not pick cotton like she did all, all the time. Like all the time I'm hearing, you know, when I was five, I was out there picking cotton. Well, I'm sorry that you didn't put me in the cotton fields. Like I didn't choose that life, right? Like I chose, and I told my mother, I live in the land of broccoli. That's not my fault, right? But for me, I think sometimes we're always, and this happens in college admissions too. Like we're chasing this idea of who do they want us to be? And, you know, this is the model and this is how everybody else has shown up. So that's how we have to do it. And maybe again, it's an Aquarius in me that says, I don't need to have that model. So if I get, the one thing that I do is if something pisses me off enough, I will just start digging and digging and digging so I kept hearing from all my students oh my god no but if I do test optional I'm not going to get merit aid and scholarships if I do test, so I just started sending out emails to all the admissions officers that I knew and I said hey and Tim filled out the, the form I said hey do you have scholarships do you have merit aid and almost everybody said yes yes we do so a lot of the information is not right and I have like on my water bottle, I have this thing that we say in our group, which is everything that you know about admissions is a lie. It's just a lie, right? And so you go into the barbershop and not everybody is like, you might love everybody in the barbershop, but you're not taking advice from everybody in the barbershop. You take that information, you sort out what's true and what's not. And then you kind of go home and you apply that information to your life. And you don't listen to the noise but if you decide you know what I just want to like I had one student that was like I don't want to do activities at school I don't want to you know do anything I want to go home I want to you know watch tv is there a college out there for me it was like yeah there's colleges that do complete academic review they ain't looking at anything holistic that is a college for you and happy at college now right so again there are colleges out there and also there's communities out there that you can just show up as yourself for. It's harder to show up as, as somebody else. And so just show up as yourself. No, that, that, that that's great. And, and before Tim, I see Tim get really excited over there about <laughs> here for the streets. The, the first iteration of our book was called right. Black Folks Guide. Tim was all about, I want to make sure it's for the folks. And then yeah. Tim loves, and again, ad nauseum, the wire. And consistently right. hits me with, I just want my corner. Yeah, and that's it, right? And I don't have the lived experience of The Wire, but I do know, like, 
for me, as somebody who grew up in AP classes and was very much divorced from the community, because at, unfortunately at that time, AP was very segregated. I was one of the only Black students. I loved my time at the barbershop, but my mother was also very intentional. She built the Martin Luther King Day celebration. Dr. Ibram Kendi is an alumni of that. And for me, you know, my mother was just like, I just want spaces where my girls can reside in, where they can be Black in themselves. And so for me, you know, Black joy, and like, we always kind of talk about, and I'm I'm not going to get on myself, I'm going to finish in a second, but black, we talk about Black joy, and we talk about resistance. And for me, you know, being your true authentic self is Black liberation. And so for me, when I went into this brand, I just said, I'm tired. I'm just tired of being everybody else. And I'm going to be myself. And that's, this is probably the most successful brand that I've had because there's no filter between, and I don't have to change parts. I might have to bolster up, but I don't have to change parts. And same thing for students. They should do the same thing. Speak your truth. And we appreciate you for it because again, you give the information raw and you're authentic about it. And people are appreciative. Um, again, we're going to wrap this up soon. We got one more yeah. big question, and then we're going to ask you for some college recommendations. But what are some of the most common mistakes that families make as they go through this process? We want to we want to give them the real, you know, the Kimbe Mutombo finger wave. Of, no, 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 don't. Do that. <laughs> what are the mistakes that people make that you want to make sure that they, um, you know, understand before they commit them? Believing everybody is a source of information. Um, a lot of say it for the people in the back. Say a little louder. <laughs> say say it with your chest. Believing dude. everybody is a source of information. I tell people, don't just trust me. Verify everything. Verify like I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make in college admissions in general is we take this top twenty five and we apply what they're doing to every college. And so the people are like, oh, I need to do fifty extracurriculars. I need to do da da da. da. I need to do da, da. like because Harvard wants that because Emory like. That's not what a state college wants, right? Like, and so we take that information and we try to apply it. And so what I see now, which concerns me a lot, is this generation, for good reason, does not trust the traditional sources of media. They don't trust admissions officers. They don't trust, you know, their counselors. They don't trust, and they didn't have the time to build that trust during the pandemic. It was broken. And so they go on YouTube and the student will say, hey guys, I got into this college. This is my essay. Nobody knows if that essay was good. Like you could have gotten into that college despite that essay, but then they try to replicate that. Or I have students printing out other students' transcripts and using it as a guide, a map. Okay, I need to take this class, this class, this class. And then they wonder why they didn't get in. And so I think you believe that a student that got in is an expert on that college or a student that you saw on YouTube is an expert on that college. They have some expertise and I'm not discrediting the expertise. I'm just saying verify all information with your admissions officer. So what is true I'm going to do the U as somebody who went to UVA and Virginia Tech. What is true for Virginia Tech is not true for UVA. And what is true for UVA is not true for Virginia Tech. So a lot of times people will say, well, my friend didn't get in and he had a 1530 and my other friend got in and he had a 1550. So clearly they want a 1550. And if I don't have a 1550, I'm not applying. 
Or, but then if you talk to the admissions officer, they're like, well, that's for that particular program. There's a lot of contacts. There's a, and then also the priorities shift from year to year. Last year, we got a lot of engineers. We need to cut back on our engineers. Last year, we had a lot of students joining the Corps of Cadets. This year, we need more students. We just built on our theater program. There's a lot of things that change. So I think the biggest piece of advice I could give people is go to your id admissions officer. Go to your admissions officer. They're not lying to you because their job is to make you look good. They're not trying to kick you out of the pool because they can kick you out of the pool later. They just want a good application. And then if you don't trust that admissions officer, talk to more admissions officers from the actual college that you're applying to. Talk to them. Do not feel like I can't ask them this question. You're asking a lot of times parents will ask other parents, parents, students will ask other students, but nobody asks the admissions officers. And that doesn't make sense to me. So a majority of the time, I just pick up the phone, I call the admissions office, and I ask them the question, is this still true for you? Because it might have been true yet last year, it's not true this year. Um, and I think you have to monitor, but then also, again, I'm going to go back to budget. Biggest mistake is not giving your kid a budget. And also thinking about the budget as somebody who went through, straight through from undergrad to law school, not thinking about the budget past four years. Because for me, I was sitting in the Virginia Tech presentation. I always tell this story. I wanted to skip English. I'm sorry. I wanted to skip English that day. Virginia Tech was coming that day. My friend Katie said, if we skip, if we sign up for Virginia Tech's presentation, we can skip English. I signed up. It said $3,000 at that time. I was working at IHOP. I knew I could make that. So I said, sign me up. I'm going to go to Virginia Tech. I didn't even know where Virginia Tech was. I thought it was Christopher Newport. I thought it was a beach. But having only about $20,000 of debt, uh, like it was about 18, 15, 18, but with expenses about 20, um, allowed me to take on as much debt as I wanted for law school. It allowed me to not feel the pressure to take a law firm job when other people felt that pressure. Not having two six-figure debts or even a high you know, five-figure debt allowed me to make a lot of choices, choices that I am able to make to this day because I am not burdened by, I'm only burdened once by six figures of debt. So the freedom that not having debt provides, I think sometimes we think about college in this four-year term, but tell your kid, okay, you got into your dream college, but they don't have the money. So let's work on getting your student into the dream college for law school, for grad school, for a program. Let's have them go there for the summer. Let's not think about, this is the only opportunity to go to that school. Again, we we, we appreciate the, the personal slash professional transparency because I think people need to hear our stories, right? Right. And understand where we come from in order to give them the information that they do. So again, thank you so much for that. All right, we're going to close out. Oh, Remember, wait, one oh, last oh, thing. Oh, 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 oh. Don't hey, speak truth, speak take, do not take a college off your list because you do not have an SAT and ACT score. That... That, I, I was about to like let y'all go and then I realized, no, no, no. There's so many kids that will say, oh, I don't have the SAT score, I don't have the ACT score, I'm not applying. And one of the things that I do is I will say, I'll pay for that application, put it in. And the student gets in at almost every single time. Because if you are qualified on paper, it does not matter what your SAT and ACT score is. 
Four years is better than one day. That's math. Four years, one day, not the same. Understood. Understood. Thank you so much. Now, drum roll, please. We close out every single podcast episode with the expert that we are featuring today is Jen the Tutor, jenthetutor.com. Please check her out. Um, two ends. Two ends. Yes, two ends. And yes, Jen will be a frequent contributor, not only to our podcast, but some of the webinars that we're doing this winter. So please check us out. Check out the webinars. Um, but Jen, we always want to make sure that we give people recommendations. So mm -hmm. are there schools that you believe are overlooked that you recommend to your students or that you just believe, you know, just deserve more shine than they get? So when I knew I was going to be on this, I kid you not, at 3 a.m. I woke up and I was like, no, this is a question I got to be ready for out of all the questions. So I made a list, okay, um, for HBCUs. Now, Norfolk State, you know I love you. Candy King, my delegate, Candy King, is going to kill me because I she's from Norfolk State, but Virginia State, there's something magic happening there. I love Virginia State. North Carolina A&T is great for in-state students. Right now, they're having an issue with out-of-state students, but I still love North Carolina A&T. If you're a Latinx and, or you're looking for a Latinx-serving institution, UTSA just went R1. So you have all the amenities of a UT school, but it's in San Antonio. I just went down there. It's gorgeous. St. Mary's in Texas is one of my favorite colleges. I just drove a student down to Texas there. Big, small school, big amenities. I love that. Women's serving institutions are always overlooked and men's serving institutions are always overlooked. Of course, you know, I love me some Morehouse, but Hollins, I love Hollins. I love Wellesley, but Hollins in my home state, there's something magical. And then I, while I was there, I went to see Roanoke College. Again, great college, big amenities, small situation, a president that's really on board. If you're in Virginia, please do not, my Northern Virginia kids, I know, I know you all think you should go anywhere but George Mason because it's so close. And I don't want, you're not coming home, y'all. You're not coming home every weekend. So George Mason is one of the best institutions in this country, hands down. Northern Virginia Community College, we're so blessed to have that. But please consider George Mason, especially if you're in dance and if you're in whatever, because dance and performing arts, I think things at George Mason that have rivaled or even better the Kennedy Center. I also think that students shouldn't sleep on University of Richmond, because I know a lot of students think it's in the South. It has this reputation. The students I send there are the students I never have to worry about. They give them opportunities and they and do not just look at the tuition. We can talk about that later, net price calculator, but they are very generous. And then hidden gems outside of the state, University of Toledo. And I saw Rhodes College this summer. Have you all been to Rhodes? Oh my God. I have it in Memphis. Was, I have it. It's in Memphis. And I'm not it like, was so gorgeous i have a frat brother whose whose son plays football there and jason hamilton went there who are you gonna do the the, the thing with i oh you know what? i didn't know that i went there and it was so gorgeous and i was like this is such a beautiful pretentious picturesque school but the people were so warm and so welcoming we had somebody just drive up and she's like where are you guys going we're like oh we're just looking around and you know as a black person i'm a little like 
Oh, we're just looking around, you know, like we're we're not trying, we're not causing any problems. And she's like, well, just hop on the back of the bus. I'm going to show you around then. And so Rhodes is gorgeous. But yeah, I know I shouldn't have gone through like 10. I still oh, love no, my Virginia fine. Tech. I still love my UVA. But at the end of the day, I, I have a list because I, I just want to say again, there is a college out there looking for you. And I hope the one thing that we can transmit to students is I remember reading your opening about Obama going to Occidental College. I think that was the first time I had ever heard that. And I don't know why I didn't know that, but there are colleges out there and people will say, oh, well, like nobody knows that college. Well, make it known, like be the first big alumni from this college, right? Like Seth Curry put Davison on the map, like do be, be the person, right? Because had I not, had I focused on my dream school and not gone to Virginia Tech, I would not be the person I was. And had I not gone to UVA for law school instead of undergrad, I would not be the person I was. So just know that there's a college out there looking for you and there's opportunities out there and it might be a smaller, smaller college. And also know that the admission season does not end in May on decision day. There's a whole nother round that you can go into with rolling colleges. And I think rolling colleges are the, rolling colleges just have a special commitment to students. And there's some great rolling colleges. VCU, I think is one of them, but honestly, rolling colleges are some of the best colleges in this country. Community colleges like Northern Virginia Community College, some of the best colleges in this country, but have a plan. And, and just, just uh, rolling colleges, rolling college admission, meaning that they have application deadlines that happen throughout the year. Where throughout of... the year, up until I mean, I've had, I've had, we're calling because people are moving in on Tuesday, and we're calling on Monday, and that student can go to that college, and it's not a scam. And I think that's what people feel like. Oh well, why would they want me? Because they are open to serving students like you. And they have the resources there for students like you. Jen dropping yeah. knowledge. Jen the tutor dot com. Two N's. J -E -N -N. Two N's always. Oh, T H E T U T O R the tutor dot com. We appreciate you. Biggest so regret is not putting T H E E Jen the tutor. Yeah, no, you did the right thing. <laughs> you, 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 you did the right thing. You did the right thing. And again, Jen, we're so appreciative of you, not just you just um, sharing this podcast time with us, but for also, you know, being on these webinars with us for the next several months and working on some other projects with us. Again, yeah. we're going to continue to tap into your expertise and um, we wish you not just a wonderful day, but uh, a wonderful career to, to, to continue to help students the way you are and really amplifying your authentic self. We, we, I think we should get barbershop chairs. I barbershop think, chairs. I, I mean, I think, I think, I think, I think we should... You know, like LeBron has his shop. We could have our shop, you okay. know? Okay, so, so something you to think know, about. Maybe over the summer, maybe over the summer. All right. All right. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Have a great day. We're out. All right. Bye.